Welcome to Codex Rex, the video game history podcast. I am your host, Tyler. And I am your co-host, Dux. So some of you might know me from Twitch. I'm Vegan Tyler on Twitch, which is how I met my buddy Dox here. Dox, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. I'm, I'm a dude that hangs out with Tyler a lot. Like, I'm a, I'm a guy from Germany. He's a guy from America. And we've been friends for quite some time now. Yes. Yeah, almost two years, actually. Yes, I think it was, what, July 2018? Something like that? You, so. you, I, I bet you know the exact date. I do not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know the exact date I met you. I just know when I started streaming. So About the, about the time, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we've like been hanging out, days. playing games. Uh, right. And just, just having fun on the internet because we yep. live very far apart. We do. So Docs and I decided that we wanted to try our hand at podcasting. And so um, here's the idea that we came up with. This is a video game history podcast. And each episode, what is going to happen is I am going to read Docs a story that I have researched about some facet of video game history. And Docs here is going to listen and also interrupt me and ask questions and um so i'm just gonna get i'm just i'm just gonna get 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 told (laughs) stories about general like it could be anything video game history related right yes and it is your job to interrupt me you you notice how i try to interrupt you right now just as (laughs) you're already learning i'm i'm doing my best yes yeah yeah so i'm pretty excited about this i will see how this goes So shall we jump in? I'm in. Let's go. What is it? What do you have for me? So just as a quick note, uh, a lot of stuff that happens in this story was happening like concurrently. So the timeline might be a little wonky, but I'll try and point that out when that occurs. Okay. So our story begins in the early 1980s with a man named Hayao Nakayama. Nice. Nakayama was the president of Sega Enterprises, which was a large manufacturer of arcade games in Japan. So... The 80s hits, uh, and he's in charge. I won't get into the long story of how he ended up becoming in charge of Sega. And uh, arcade machines kind of start seeing a downturn near the end of the 80s. So, like, arcades are still a thing, but they're not as, like, crazy popular as they were in, let's like say, the early 80s. Like, arcade as in the place you go to where you play video games on these big machines, right? Like that's Yes, so you, like, is. take quarters and you put them in, or, you know, like, whatever the currency might be, and then it lets you play on a on a machine for a certain amount of time. Yeah, I've always been fascinated by those because we don't have those in Germany at all. And I've never seen one in, in really? real life. But that's pretty cool. So so this guy, what did he do because of that? Well, let's, let's pause real quick and I'll give you some context. Arcades are huge in Japan and they're yeah. actually still huge in Japan. Oh, and when okay. I visited... Uh, Sega still to this day uh, owns and operates like a lot of arcades in mm. Japan. And they're actually, I think they hold records for producing the most in-house arcade machines of any company in the world. So Sega is still a thing. I thought they kind of died oh, out yeah. or something. Ah, I see. They are very much still a thing, just in a different context, So, which we'll talk about here today. Mm-hmm. So, um, so basically what they were good at was making hardware. And so they had an expertise in making video game hardware. And so Nakayama realizes that the future of gaming isn't going to necessarily be in arcades. It's going to be inside of homes. And so there was already um, a push to have like home consoles 
And, um, you know, going back even further, like the Atari had become a thing. It's like mm -hmm. maybe thought to be like one of the first real home consoles. And so to give you some context, Nakayama wants to break into this market. Mm -hmm. But the early days of gaming were really flooded with a lot of companies that had been trying to like establish a foothold in this home gaming market. And so there were like a lot of consoles that would just show up and they'd have like a few games and they'd be terrible and then they would like flop. So like getting a new console out was kind of like a risky venture. So okay. it was like the pioneer days of home video gaming where everybody was like going onto the frontier and trying to be the first one to make it. Exactly. That's and so cool. what was really dominating at the time was the Famicom, uh, the family computer, or we would know it as Famicom. Nintendo <laughs> the Famicom, yeah. yeah. Uh, or we would know it as the Nintendo Entertainment oh, System. Oh, that's right? Nintendo. Yes, that's Nintendo. Yep. And so um, by some metrics, they sort of gave the industry something to rally around. And they mm -hmm. really took over the market at this time. Okay. So Sega, they want to break in and he, he starts to transition the company toward having their own home console. Okay. And so they create something called the SG-1000, or we would also know it as the Master System. And there was like many iterations of this. Um, and they're like, okay, this is going to be our like, this is going to be our system that's going to um, like compete with the Famicom. Right. Mm -hmm. So the console does well, but like nowhere near as well as the NES. And, uh, you know, really most of their sales were in Japan. So... 1988 rolls around, so like, you know, 30 plus years ago. Yeah. And they released something called the Mega Drive, 1988. And it's most, that's released in the Japanese market. Is that like Now, a new console? It is a brand new console. Yeah. And so they, you know, they hit the market with the SG-1000 and the Master System. And so they released their second console, the Mega Drive. Now, you may have heard the name of the Mega Drive differently, Because in the U.S., when it released in 1989, rather, it was called the Genesis. Ooh, I do know that name. Right. Now, the reason it was called the Genesis and not the Mega Drive, where it was called in the rest of the world, is because some company owned the name Mega Drive in ah, 1989 okay. and refused to concede um, you know, the name so that Sega could do anything with it. So they called it the Genesis. Now, I will say I couldn't find like a consistent source that confirmed the 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 trademark issue, but it's like a commonly accepted thing that it was a trademark issue. Yeah. It so. kind of makes sense that they called it Genesis because that's just a biblical term. So who's right. who's who's going to copyright that? <laughs> Easy. Let's <laughs> right, right. let's just pick this thing out of long ago history that nobody's going to ever copyright. Nice one. And it also, I mean, it sound it sounds cool, Genesis. right? Like it's the Genesis. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so the Genesis hits the market, 1989, and it did okay to start, but they still had trouble keeping pace with Nintendo. And mm -hmm. so uh, I was looking around, and like stats from this time are a little hard to get, but there was talk that Nintendo owned 90% of the market share of home consoles around Whoa. 1990. So all of it. Yeah, basically. Yeah, they yeah. basically own the market. Sega owned about 2% at the time. And so uh, there's this guy named Michael Katz, K-A-T-Z, who was in charge of the U.S. branch of Sega at the time. Because, like, you know, uh, Sega has, like, different branches in different countries that they want to break into. This guy, Michael Katz, is in charge of the U.S. branch. And so his job is to establish a foothold in the, in, in the North American market and just start, like, selling, you know, the Genesis, right? Like, yeah. get us more than 2% of the, of the fucking market share, right? So he starts, he comes up with this advertising campaign, like, he and his staff, and they decide, you know what? 
we're going to start directly attacking Nintendo. Now, this is a Japanese company, and so culturally in Japan, companies don't attack each other on the air, right? Oh. It's kind of like taboo for this to occur. And so, but he's like, hey, this is North America. All bets are off. We're going to start going <laughs> after him, right? Like, we're the underdog. So basically, they try a bunch of different angles. They start getting celebrity endorsements, like Michael Jackson. Like, Michael Jackson has, like, a game called Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, where he's, like, in the commercial, like, endorsing the Genesis. This is, like, totally new at the time, right? Nice. So... And then they start doing like really aggressive advertising, like making fun of Nintendo and going after Nintendo. And they create my favorite slogan from the time. Okay. Genesis does what Nintendo don't. <laughs> oh so my God. That's so bad. It's so bad. Oh my God. It's so 90s. But okay. But still, it was edgy. It was this new take on the industry. It made them really popular. And they're like, we're going to go after this like edgy 90s teen demographic i mean and that's super 90s too like mm -hmm. we don't have that shit nowadays anymore because we can advertise anything on the internet with some sleek marketing campaign but advertisement right. i remember advertisement in the 90s and that was um some 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 weird shit uh and i like oh, it <laughs> you can do what nintendo that's that's a good one yeah genesis can do what nintendo so oh, yeah, cool. but regardless even with this kind of aggressive and kind of edgy advertising campaign, they still couldn't keep up with Nintendo, right? Mm. So Nintendo had this long, you know, they had basically cornered the market. They had Mario, right? Yeah. And, you know, they, they just still weren't there yet. So, but no, celebrity endorsements, like, made consoles more mainstream, right? Like, suddenly it was cool to have a console, and that's what they were really going for. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Nakayama is like, all right, here's what we need. Nintendo has Mario, we need a mascot. I was just gonna okay. ask, did did they have any franchise like Nintendo have? Did they did they have it? So not really. So Nintendo had Mario, Mario's selling consoles. And so Sega for a time tried to push this character called Alex Kidd. K-I-D-D. K-I-D-D. Alex Kidd. I have played an Alex Kidd game. I will tell you it was just okay. So. Okay. What what, what so was Alex, it? Was it like a jump and run game? What was that? it was kind of like a jump and run game, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That and like there were parts where at least the one that I played, if I'm thinking of the same game, uh, there was like an auto scroller where you like threw these like swords at like monsters. Do you know what an auto scroller is? Like the screen. I, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. But like, right. like you you threw swords at enemies. That's it. Yeah, basically. Yeah. N nice. Okay. <laughs> so I think I only played Alex Kid Three Monster Island or something. It was on the Genesis collection. I just thought it was okay. So. I mean, who um, thinks of that shit? Like, uh, 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 let's make a game, and we gotta, uh, we gotta think of like some some neat idea of what's it about. And there's Dave in the corner, like, let's throw swords at enemies. Yeah, that's. Oh, dude! If you only <laughs> knew some of the games that made it out for the Genesis, uh, I think the worst one I can think of is a game called Booger Man. Booger Man <laughs> is literally a superhero <laughs> who throws boogers nice. at people or farts on them. So, like, you want to talk low tier? Alex Kidd is top tier comparatively. So, I mean, but video games at that time just were weird at all. Yeah. Like, all of them. Like, just imagine what Super Mario actually is. Just a plumber dude that wears a hat and goes through tubes and eats mushrooms all the time. What? It's true. Know. Yeah. Yeah. When you really think about it. Yeah. Okay. So, so they have Alex Kidd, but Alex Kidd isn't really working. And they say, you know, we need a character that is associated with Sega. 
And more importantly, they want to break into this American market, right? This North American audience that they haven't really tapped yet. So Nakayama creates this contest within the company. And he says to all of his developers, I want you to submit me designs for a new mascot, something that's going to be iconic for our brand, something that we can use and something that like, you know, it's going to, it's going to scream Sega and North Americans are going to love it. So enter this guy. I'm going to totally mispronounce his name. uh, Naoto Oshima. I'm just going to refer to him as Oshima from now on. Mm -hmm. He is this guy who submits most of the designs that are like worth looking at. And so he pitches a number of different things. One is like this rabbit that can like pick stuff up with its ears. One of his designs was this really chubby Teddy Roosevelt character with a huge mustache. One was an armadillo. One was a hedgehog. So he had a whole bunch uh, of different characters. Did the hedgehog come through? Is it is it Sonic? You'll see. Yeah. <laughs> You'll see. But the so, rabbit sounds cute. Like it. Like is there like footage of that? Is, there are like, drawings of the rabbit, yeah. But it never so came through as a game concept or something like that. So I will skip ahead. We'll mildly skip ahead. When they got to like the game process, the rabbit was like the front runner for a while. Oh, okay. But they wanted a game that was like fast, and and we'll get to this in a second. Yeah. And the 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 idea of using your ears to pick up items slowed down the game. Plus, it was mm. like they were having like graphical limitations with it too. Mm-hmm. So they decided against the rabbit, but the rabbit was the front runner at first. I see. So, okay. So, enter this guy, Yuji Naka. We'll talk about him a little bit, too. Naka basically created the tech demo for what this game would become. And he, he, he was really good at making demos of different games. And one that stuck was this, this demo of a ball moving really quickly through tubes. Okay, and everybody was like, oh, man, this game is the shit, this thing that you've created, because like they figured out how to like center, like, center it on the ball and make the, move, you know, like, the game move around it, basically. And that was like, really cool. Yeah. So, and so they said, you know, this is going to be our template for quickly moving through stages. Mm-hmm. And so like, but the problem was, is like, you know, you got this rabbit with ears and, you know, you got this big chubby Teddy Roosevelt guy. And like some of these designs weren't really fitting with what they wanted. A character that could roll into a ball and could move very quickly I, and I could can, damage enemies. I can see where level. this is going. Yes. I mean, <laughs> like which of the animals that we just talked about can, can actually in real life also turn into a ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can't go as fast in real life, but the ball thing, that's pretty close. The ball thing was important. Yeah. So the story goes, Oshima takes a vacation and he goes to New York. And while he's in New York, he goes, you know what? I think this hedgehog is going to be it. I think the hedgehog is going to be the pick, but I want to know for sure. So he takes a bunch of his designs and he starts flagging down people in Central Park and asking them which of his designs they like better. Okay, it's like a focus test. Like, hey, man, look at these. Which ones do you like the most? Right? So by and, uh, by and large, everybody liked the hedgehog, right? Nice. They were just like, this hedgehog is way cooler, right? And so, you know, to him, this was a focus test on his designs. And also it was just like a little bit of a test to make sure it hit with American audiences. And where else, where else do you go to test what Americans want but New York? So that right? means that Sonic the Hedgehog was designed for the American market. Oh, yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. We'll talk about this in just a moment. So they decide to go with this design of a hedgehog that Oshima had made. And so the development team starts calling him Mr. Needlemouse. Okay. Why is he Mr. Needlemouse? Because the, liter- the Japanese word for hedgehog literally translates to, in English, Needlemouse. Oh, nice. So eventually they ditched Mr. Needlemouse and they settled on a name, Sonic, 
right? It evokes speed. Yes. Yeah, and that's the theme of the game, right? Yeah. Sonic is a really okay. good like that's that's a really good name for a character, Sonic. The, the, oh yeah. There isn't any names today anymore that you can like all the all the names are taken now. It's the time where all the names are taken and that was the time right. where you could still get names that are good and that was one of them. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, it was really just a simpler time of gaming, right? Yeah. It and and it was very much like, you know, make a character that does a cool thing and, you know, it's novel in whatever way and it has a snappy name and, you know, you can sell it for 50 bucks and people will go crazy for it. So yeah, and, okay. know, it was so it was also easy to find a new technology in a game. Like um, if if they if they found this new ball concept, ball moving through tubes, mm-hmm. that that was a new thing, that was obvious even to the um consumer, um that that was a new thing, and that's also rare nowadays to find something uniquely new, that you didn't see before in your life. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I would agree with that, and part of that is just because it was you know the early days of. Of gaming and so there was just a lot more open space to design yeah. whatever you and, wanted and the early dates of of like personal computing even because that that was a completely new concept that people could have such computing power at their home that's pretty cool it's true yeah normally you'd have to go to an arcade if yeah. you wanted to play games right okay so they've got their they've got this character design well, I'll do I'll do a slight side tangent here. I was going to save some of this for the end, but I think this is relevant. So they come up with a bunch of different designs for this hedgehog. And one was uh, that he had scary fangs. Okay. He had like these big scary fangs. He had a girlfriend for a while named Madonna. <laughs> she was a human woman. Yeah. She had long blonde hair. <laughs> she had long blonde hair. And she was wearing this very skimpy red dress that very clearly showed off right and they claimed quote that it would be if i remember it correctly that it was like every male's fantasy that she was like chasing sonic around right and they decided pretty early on once they started doing more testing in america and like the localization in america that they 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 were going to scrap her was she a hedgehog Um, too no you're thinking of amy who came around in a later game no just just because then isn't that just like like you know that movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yes. And then there's skimpy la- like there's a lady with a red dress, and then there's Roger Rabbit, and that's just like the same thing. Yes, except she was a blonde instead. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, I think you're. Uh, what was her name? Um, whatever. I, it's, it's blanking on me. I'm yeah. sure someone will listen to this and know. But yeah, she had like long red hair. So that's super funny. But. So they so they ditched her. They ditched Sonic's fangs. Uh, they they pitched him being in a band for a while. They they ditched that whole idea until there was like a later show. I'm kind of skipping ahead, but there's a later show called Sonic Underground that was like terrible. That he was in this band and he had like siblings and stuff. But for the for the first game, they ditched the whole idea of the band. They toned him down, and so this new guy comes onto the project. All right, and he, his name is Hirokazu Yasuhara. And so Yasuhara came on. He's a designer on the project. And he starts helping with level design and he basically like takes over the team. Okay. And so he's like, all right, we need to figure out what this character is going to be. We're going to solidify stuff. So just like some big names that you might still hear if you ever dig into this stuff. Uh, You had Naka on gameplay. He's the guy who made the the ball design, right? Oshima on the designs who came up with the idea of Sonic and Yasuhara on level design. And he like took over the team and they added some more people as they needed them as they got closer to like crunch time. Right. Mm -hmm. So Yasuhara comes up with this idea he says what if as you're moving very quickly 
you almost have this like sort of like pinball mechanic where like he's rolling into a ball and you're like spinning all over the screen and you're like almost like flying. Right. Yeah. And so he comes up with this level design. It's very colorful. It takes full advantage of the speed of the game and, and, and like what the Genesis could do. Uh, the very first zone is called green Hill zone. It's probably the most iconic and famous Sonic zone in, in the whole series. They've remade it like 15 times. And uh, it was based on imagery from California, right? Because remember, they're trying to evoke some American stuff here, which we'll get into in a minute. But they ran into some technical issues because this was like so new. The character was moving so fast that like, that, like in, in some of the early builds, like Sonic would go around a loop and then like would just get glitched through the loop and like fly off into the level, right? And so they had to like figure out how to like make him move in ways that he couldn't and... So uh, Naka, I have a quote from Naka here. He, he did an interview 25 years after the game came out, and he said this about his process. He said, quote, I like fast things, and I thought it would be nice to create a game where the more skilled that you became, the faster that you could complete a stage. Games back then had no backups or saving systems, which meant that you had to play right from the beginning every time. As a result, the first stage would be played time and time again, making the player very skilled at it. Uh-huh. So... We thought it would be nice if this would enable the player to complete those stages faster and faster, and that is the basis of Sonic Speed. We also thought that this might help to differentiate Sonic from Mario. So just because Mario always kind of stays at the same pace, right? Like you basically, unless you, you make him run. Yeah, you can make him run, but still, you gotta you gotta run the same distance, and you can't like I remember I played Sonic once right. or twice. And I was the slowest person that ever played Sonic. I, I don't know. I can't even finish a level within five minutes or something. And I had this friend that played Sonic all the time, and he just went through it, and he didn't oh, yeah. stop. Well, you know, they even put, like, a time limit on levels to force you to try and go fast. Oh, right. It runs down, right? Right. So if, you were, if it runs out, then you die, right? Okay. So <clears throat> they wanted a fast game. They knew they wanted this sleek hedgehog. But what of design specifics? So, no, I pulled this from a lot of different sources, um, like Newsweek had a whole article on it and a bunch of different interviews with these guys. But, so they draw from a number of different sources to construct this character. So, uh, first they decide, uh, Sonic was originally like teal. They decided he should be a darker blue because that was the color of Sega's logo. Oh, so yeah. you want to associate Sonic with the logo? Make him the same color, yeah. right? So, remember, early 90s, they're designing a character. They wanted to appeal to as many Americans as possible. So Oshima said this about his designs in 2009, quote, his shoes were inspired by the cover of Michael Jackson's bad, which contrasted heavily between white and red, a Santa Claus type color. I also thought that red went well for a character who can run really fast as his legs are spinning. So we'll pause there and I'll tell you more in a minute. Red goes fast. Um, Red goes fast. (laughs) Yes. Red ones go faster. (laughs) If you have never seen the cover of Michael Jackson's Bad, imagine that it is Michael Jackson and he has this big poofy hair and he's wearing this coat that has like all like this like jacket and it has like all these straps on it. And if you look at the full art of it, he has these shoes that look very similar to the final design of Sonic shoes. Mm. So they so they they clearly took that design from Michael Jackson at the time. And then they made it red. And so like, he doesn't say it in this quote, but I read other quotes. I don't know if this is confirmed or not, but the red and white was meant to evoke like, like Santa Claus is the most popular character in the entire world. And those are his colors. And so they thought, you know, we'll use those colors because they're already popular. Right. Yeah. Okay. 
What of his personality? Now, Bill Clinton is running for election in at this time when they're designing the character. And they claimed that Bill Clinton had a, quote, get it done kind of attitude. Yeah. That's the attitude that they yeah. picked for Sonic. So they decide they're going to cram as much American stuff into this character as possible. So this guy, Keith Stewart, writes this book, right? And he's writing this book about the design of the character. And this, this totally blew my mind. Okay. He notes, what are Sonic's colors? Think on them. I mean, they're blue and white and red, right? What are the colors of the American flag? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the same. That's, I, I, I just thought of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nod to the U.S. flag, right? Subtle American imagery built into the character. It was like the epitome of what the 90s was in the U.S. at that time. Okay. Move fast. Get it done. Look sleek, uh, right? Uh, Red, white, and blue. I, I, like, until today, I really liked Sonic because I thought it was, <laughs> a, it was a really cool game. But, and I, I'm not saying I don't I don't like it anymore because it's as Americanized as it seems to be. I'm just I'm just shocked. I don't know. <laughs> right. Right. What? Very clearly designed to appeal to as many Americans as possible. For real. And it makes it total well sense. Thought out. I think it makes a lot of sense because a lot of things we do we don't do because we we make conscious decisions, but because they appeal to us because of subliminal effects they have on us like if and if it's something that we're used to or even even prefer maybe that's a good way to go to sell a game sure and remember you know they're not doing this out of the benevolence for the art they're very clearly trying to make a product no they just want to buy. sell it they just want to make money right. and and kick nintendo out of the market exactly yeah oh, for sure so uh so okay so every character needs a good nemesis right so they design this, uh, they, they look back at the, the designs that have been submitted and they decide that they're going to they're gonna use the Teddy Roosevelt kind of character that Oshima had come up with. And that was Dr. Eggman. Okay. I always thought uh, Roosevelt looked a bit like Eggman, but it's the other way around. Eggman looks like... <laughs> yep, yep. They specifically designed Eggman, right? right. To right. be Teddy Roosevelt. Cool. Okay. Another source he that I looked at, um, though I couldn't confirm this one as as intricately, uh, claimed that he used he, he claimed that he used um, like drawings of Humpty Dumpty as an inspiration, mm -hmm. which is kind of why he just looks like a big fucking egg, right? Like, yeah. Okay. So, but note in the U.S. they know him as Doctor Ivo Robotnik, mm -hmm. and this was a localization thing. So I was reading some stuff about the guy who was mostly in charge of the localization, and he was like. Basically, like, man, this was all ad hoc. Like, I would look at it, they'd send me a design, and I'd be like, wait, what's the name of his girlfriend again? Wait, he doesn't have a girlfriend again? Wait, he has a girlfriend now? Okay, you're sending me this weird critter? Fine, it's going to be called a, a ball hog, right? Sure. And so they're like, Eggman, okay, that's stupid. Uh, we'll call him Dr. Ivo Robotnik, because Ivo sounds like evil, and Robotnik mm -hmm. fits with the theme. Yeah, in German, he's right? called Robotnik too. That's the name I know. Yeah. Right. Well... Interestingly enough, uh, the rumor is, is that the localization team made this change without really talking to the Japanese side of things very much, and they weren't totally thrilled with it. Um, so in later entries, which maybe we'll do another episode some, someday down mm -hmm. the future, they just basically said that both were acceptable, that his name was Dr. Ivo Robotnik, but that his nickname was Eggman. So both were fine. Nice. 
a bit like Lord of the Rings, where Gandalf has a 27 names and you just got to remember them or you don't. That's good. Right. Exactly. So I won't get into a lot of the debate here, but there were some really big scuffles over the direction that the game would take during the localization process. Cause like the fangs were lost during the localization process. The girlfriend was lost during the localization process. Um, at one point, the Japanese side of development was like so grumpy about it that they even pitched like, well, maybe you guys will just have your own version of the game in the U.S. and we'll have our own. Right? <laughs> what was their little feud between them and the Japanese guys were super fed up with it? Yeah, basically. Yeah, I get it. Okay, so Naka, remember the guy who made the tech demo and is working on the mm-hmm. game? He had a quote and he said, uh, in those days, I hated the American change to the look and the feel. And I didn't know how consumers would perceive it. But looking back, that's one of the reasons that it succeeded. So he hated it at the time, but now he looks back and he's like, this was way better of a game after all the stuff that they fixed. Yeah, I think so. it's one of those things like that's a lot. I mean, they, these guys do art. That's what they do. And um, often while you're inside of your creation, it's really difficult to see what what will make it successful and what will make it well perceived. And yeah, I totally get that perspective from seeing it from the outside. Yeah, I'm I'm glad it worked out like that because I could work on this project longer and it and I understand why it, why people liked it. That's interesting. And I think it's really hard when, you know, uh some of the reports I read here said that they were working on this game like 19 hours a day, right? Yeah. Like imagine being that engrossed in a product that you are putting out that you designed with all of your heart. And then some some assholes in America tell you that you need to get rid of his fangs. Why would we ever do that, right? Like, I could see how it would be difficult, right? Yeah. Also, that I mean, that's their life and that's their passion. Mm-hmm. And then some dudes come and are like, "Yeah, we gotta we gotta Americanize this and sell our souls." Also, um, <laughs> I don't right, know that, exactly. It can't be good. No. <laughs> okay, so they decide they want gameplay to be simple. They want it to center around a single button and the D-pad. So mm-hmm. you could just press one button and do anything in the game, which is why Sonic does damage by like knocking into things and landing on them mm-hmm. and rolling into the ball. You could do it all with just whatever direction you were hitting on the D-pad and like a jump button, basically. Mm-hmm. So they come up with this game. The plot is that Dr. Robotnik is capturing animals for his nefarious plots. Uh, the lore of this is that he's like turning them into robots so he can take over all of Mobius. Um, and Sonic wants to save his friends. So along the way, he's collecting these things called Chaos Emeralds, which were sort of like the end point of the game. Like you wanted to collect them all. And if you got them all in the lore of the game, they hold great power, which we'll talk about here in a bit. Um, and so the game was split up into different uh, levels that they called zones. So you get a bunch of rings, just in case you guys have never played Sonic out there, right? Yeah. You collect rings, you smash robots, you run really fast, the levels move very fast. Uh, if you get enough rings, you can do a bonus stage where you have the potential to get an emerald, but you might not always. So you not only had to be good at the game, but you had to be good at the bonus stages to get all the emeralds and then win at the end. And, and so. I don't, I, I haven't played a lot, but there's also you can take different paths through the level, right? They yep. they have like like different levels you can you can enter by being especially good in the in playing the game or something. So you might be thinking of two. Yeah. Um, two, okay. two. Well, yeah. So like the, the bonus stages in one, you had to get 50 rings. And then when you ran past the little act sign at the end, there'd be a giant ring that you could jump into. And if you jumped into the ring, that's how you got to the bonus ah, stage. Ah, I see. 
Two was when you ran past these little like goalpost things, um, they would spawn these stars. And if you jump through the stars, then you got to the bonus stage, but you still needed 50 rings to do that. So, so you had to play well enough to not lose your rings and get to either the end of the level or one of the little goalpost things. And okay. then you can get to the bonus stages that got you stuff. Yeah. You, and you lose the rings by running into some kind of obstacle, right? Like if you right. run into like thorns or something, you will pop and all your rings will pop out of you and you can collect them until like for a certain amount of time or something. And then they just right. disappear. In early demos of the game, you couldn't recollect your rings, oh, but okay. once they added in the very like, <laughs> Oh man, I still remember as a kid, you'd get hit and the, the Genesis couldn't keep up with like the massive amount of particles that just appeared on the screen. And yeah. the game would slow to like a frame a second as your rings flew outward. <laughs> right. So, but it also made it very dramatic when you got hit. So yeah. That okay. That's cool. So they've got this game and they've got this mascot and it's been designed to just appeal to all of our American lizard brains and you know <laughs> they want to get it out, right? So how do you get this into people's hands? So they want Sonic to be their new mascot. So that meant that they needed to get Sonic to as many people as possible. Now at the time, remember this guy Katz, I mentioned him earlier. He's the head of Sega's US branch. He stated in interviews that, that, that the Japanese really struggled or the Japanese executives rather really struggled with understanding how long it would take to break into the American market. And I don't have this in my notes, but I read a really interesting story where they told him, wake up every day and say, it's like the Japanese word for 1 million, right? Wake up. And that's your mantra for the day is 1 million. That's how many units he needed to sell yeah. that year. Right? So <clears throat> Sonic isn't out yet at this point, right? They've got it. Like it's, you know, being developed. And so he did well at moving units in the U S he sold about 500,000, um, consoles while he was uh you know while he was president right mm -hmm. but he wasn't doing it at the speed that they wanted also cats fucking hated sonic he thought that sonic was the dumbest character and everything that they were trying to push he pushed back on so so cats was the guy in the u.s selling the stuff right correct he's and yeah the so, head of sega's branch in the US. so he had to sell something that he hated yes and he actually did quite well but he but his like his superiors still thought he was not doing well. Right. And they gave him shit for it. Correct. Okay, that's terrible. I, I really pity this guy. <laughs> so the timeline is a little wonky here. I think that they were trying to get him to sell the Genesis while they were working on Sonic. And they said, you're going to push Sonic as our new mascot. And he said, I hate that stupid hedgehog. I'm not. <laughs> right? <clears throat> so... Nakayama, the CEO of Sega over in Japan, he's like, we need to get rid of this cats guy. He's yeah. not doing what we want, right? Yeah. So he starts considering this man, Tom Kalinsky. All right. Kalinsky used to work for the toy company Mattel. Do you know Mattel? I, I know Mattel. Yeah. Okay. Now, previously, years previous, um, Nakayama had offered Kalinsky like a distribution job, like working with them to like make some toys while he was at um, he, he was either at Mattel or whatever toy company he was at at the time. And Kalinsky was like, Psh, Sega's never going to take off this, this, they're never going to take down Nintendo. I don't want to, I don't want to put money into this. I'm going to let this go. And he like passed up on the opportunity. Okay. So enter Kalinsky's story. So how he ended up working at Sega is a pretty weird story. So he recounted that after he left Mattel, he takes his wife and his kids and he flies to Hawaii for vacation. Okay. While he's in Hawaii, <clears throat> he's on the beach with his family 
a man randomly walks up to him and knows who he is. Here's the quote. And it was Nakayama. He had literally stalked me. He had tracked me down through my secretary and flown over. He said, you've got to come back to Japan with me. I said, are you out of your mind? I'm on vacation. He said, no, I've got some cool stuff to show you. You're going to love it. It's 16-bit technology. All the while, Galinsky's wife and children are listening in on the conversation. I asked them, what should I do? And my youngest daughter said, well, this man says it's really great. So you better go, daddy. That seems like so, a really bad Hollywood plot for some kind. Doesn't of, it? Yeah. Like it's kind of made up or something. And maybe it right? was a super boring story, but they had to make it fancy. <laughs> so they made up this cool story that he was tracked down in Hawaii on a beach. <laughs> right. He was that. But like, who knows, man? Like, you know, that's a very direct way to say, I want you on my team. And like, Kalinsky was known in the industry at that time. So, Okay. So Kalinsky, Kalinsky is like, well, I guess I'm doing this, right? And he had just left a job, right? He was in a he was in a transitionary phase, which is probably why Nakayama tracked him down. Yeah. I don't have information on that. So Kalinsky takes over as the CEO of the U.S. branch, okay? And he starts doing focus testing. And so they get a bunch of people together and they sit them down, and and even people who are super into Mario, and they start showing them Sonic, and they're like, what do you think of these games? Be honest. And the, the stats that I read were something like 80% of gamers who sat down and played the Mario that was out at the time and played Sonic were like, Sonic is so much better. We want to play it. Right. Yeah. And so he's like, cool, I'm sold. Right. Like I was already kind of sold. I'm double sold. Now. So he did the focus so, testing because he wanted to figure out if this is worth it. Exactly. Okay. Yep. He like everybody was telling him it was worth it, but he wanted to be sure. Okay. That's kind that's, I mean, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, he starts ramping up um, marketing Sonic as their main front runner. And so an interesting bit about Kalinsky. So <clears throat> Kalinsky, he came from the toy industry, but he had been like working in the industry for a while and he knew very little about video games, but he was smart enough to surround himself with people who did know about video mm, games. Yeah. So he had all of this marketing expertise on how to market products, specifically toys to children and teens and things like that. But he didn't have the video game expertise, so he brought in people to help him with that. So he had like a team, basically. Yeah. Okay. So they launched Sonic in the US <clears throat> a few weeks before the Japanese release. It might have been a month. And people went fucking bonkers for it. So it was new. It was novel. It was sleek. It was 90s, right? People loved it. And so while this popularity is building, Kalinsky has an idea. So he gets on a jet. And he flies to Japan and he sits down with the board of directors at Sega and he pitches them this idea. Lower the cost of the Genesis from $200 to $149 and then take Sonic and bundle it in with the console. So instead of making them pay $200 for a, a Genesis and a copy of Altered Beast, you give them the most popular character on the Genesis and make it cheaper. Okay. I mean that's no. that's a concept that that Nintendo later on basically made their entire business model, right? Whenever they bring out a new console, it's always like get the console and also the new Super Mario. That's kind of the same as the old ones, but that's what we do. Right. So they started that. I don't know that they started it. It's actually a pretty it's a pretty famous economic um, marketing model, and oh, yeah. um, okay. a couple of places call it the razor and blades model. So the idea is is like yeah. okay, so I'll give you an example. I was 18 and on my 18th birthday in the mail, I got a Gillette razor and just for free, right? They gave me the razor for free. 
I tried it. I loved it. I have never bought another razor, but do you know how many blades I have bought for that thing? A lot Incredibly of blades. overpriced blades. Yes. Right. So the idea is you get the consumer hooked on the product. You give them the base product for like at a loss, but then you make money later. Yeah. And so the testing was, is that when people bought a console, they not only bought a console, but they usually bought three or four more games after that. Mm, okay. So you make money on the games, right? Okay. So he pitches this idea to the Japanese board of director, you know, whatever. And they thought he was nuts. How on earth could he sell a console for so cheap when they were making like no profits on it already? Right. And then to not only lower their profits on the, on the hardware, but to give away their most popular game that they had ever produced in sanity. What was he thinking? Right. The room erupts into bickering <laughs> and fighting and squabbling. A quote from Kalinsky, quote, the board members were all talking in Japanese. Toyota, which I think is the name of his translator, was trying to translate for me as fast as he could, but he couldn't keep up with all of the banter going on. And then Nakayama got up and kicked his chair over. He was angry that everyone else in the room was so negative at what I was proposing. At the end of the meeting, as Nakayama was walking out the door, he turned and he said to everybody, quote, I don't care what you say. I hired this guy to make changes in the U.S. I promised him a free hand, so we're going along with him. He was very clear. He might have been surprised at the things I wanted to do, but he wasn't angry at me. Nakayama overruled them all. And that was the end of the meeting. Wow, that's intense, dude. Right? Especially because that's like an established company in Japan. And then this one American guy shows up and is like, I'm going to do everything differently. Of course, they get angry. But it's nice that this one guy pitched in for him. Well, he... So I read a couple of different things where basically this guy was like, look... I specifically wanted you because you know the American market better than we do. Yeah, he's right? he's, a, he's like, a salesman in America for toys. So it makes totally right. sense to go with his ideas. So they went with it and everybody shut up about it. And, you know, Nakayama said, that's what we're doing. And that's what they did. And, and, and please tell me that it just worked, worked out. It Did it work? It worked spectacularly. Nice. The Genesis exploded onto the market. They had a brand new mascot that fit with their very aggressive, you know, new attitude and marketing. And yeah. the Genesis Sonic bundle, just the Genesis Sonic bundle, sold around 15 million units alone. And that doesn't include what? any other games that, that consumers purchased. And they wanted Sonic to be in the hands of people so badly that I read like a little little aside on an article somewhere. Apparently during this time, if you had bought a previous bundle and you were mad that you didn't get Sonic, you could call into Sega or write them and they would send you a free copy of Sonic. No questions asked. That's how bad they wanted it in Whoa. people's hands. That's so, crazy. So I actually had this bundle. It was my, one of my first introductions to, my, to gaming. The Genesis was my first console that i had as a kid and i remember that the sonic cartridge that came with the bundle it said not for resale on the top meaning you wouldn't want like uh, companies or i guess resellers retailers rather shouldn't open up the box take out the pieces and sell them individually they were marked so that they stayed in the bundle and that you as a consumer if you saw the cartridge you would know that they had opened it up and tried mm -hmm. to scam you yeah right so i remember i remember asking my grandmother i was like five or six or something i was like what does not for resale mean <laughs> it's like a really <laughs> difficult concept to explain to a young child so i have one question <laughs> I, I, I remember that a friend of mine had a zega and mm -hmm. i don't know if it was the genesis but he had controllers 
that were connected to the to the Sega via infrared. Mm. It, it didn't have real cables. Did you know if the Genesis had that already, or if it was a later generation? So, <laughs> I don't, I don't remember them having infrared cables. Maybe I it, could be wrong. Maybe it's some kind of fever dream I had, and maybe it never happened. But I remember sitting in my living room. My best friend brought over his Sega. We were playing Sonic. I sucked the entire time. Mm-hmm. We had these controllers. They didn't have cables. I was shocked mm-hmm. that they didn't have any cables. And they also disconnected all the time because apparently it was infrared and infrared control sure. are bullshit. I wouldn't be surprised if they did, and here's why. Because, so I, I don't know for sure, and I can't confirm that, because I never had them. I just yeah. had the corded ones. Um, but I know for sure that the PlayStation 1 had infrared controllers and that was like hip new tech and right like some of this stuff starts to blend together as you get to the life of the end of the console Mm -hmm. right like of the genesis it's very well possible that they did okay okay so the gamble works right um and sonic just absolutely fucking takes off in the united states and so they decide well we need to make a sequel right how do you you know more free money basically right (laughs) and so around this time they also had this other little mini system that they came out with. It was called the Game Gear, the Sega Game Gear. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen one of these? No. Okay, so you, I know you have a Nintendo Switch. Imagine that it was like roughly the size of a Nintendo Switch, yes. maybe an inch or two smaller. And it was heavy. And it required six AA batteries in the back of it. And it would kill those batteries in like a little was it, two Was hours. it portable? Was it a portable gaming device? It was basically well, having a mini Genesis in your hands. It was super cool. And it had these big, big, huge batteries, these um, that you had in Ghetto Blasters too. That's pretty. I'm sorry? Like 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 these these big music boxes. The the these um in Germany we call them ghetto blasters. I don't know. <laughs> oh are you talking like speakers? Speakers, yeah, these huge speakers <laughs> that you carry around onto the basketball court. And and they are in movies. A boombox. A boombox, yeah. <laughs> the, the germ you use in ger- the term you use in Germany is ghetto blaster. <laughs> what? Yes. No, we would we would call them boomboxes. <laughs> or no, a portable no, stereo. No, now that I say the word, I feel weird about it too. But that's very cool though. <laughs> okay, so no, I don't think that it hooked into a ghetto blaster. <laughs> But it had its own set of speakers, and um, I remember, man, it fucking ate batteries so much that my mother would just be like, I'm not buying you, like, eight double A's so that you can play for, like, ten minutes, right? And yeah. so I I remember sitting uh, I remember sitting in my old house and, like, back up against the wall with it plugged in with the adapter, right? <laughs> and I would just play my little handheld system up against the wall, yes. right? I was so like I was so involved with Sonic as a kid, like the, all all of the mania. That when my mother got married, I was playing my Game Gear during the ceremonies because they were worried I would get bored. So, okay, so they got the Genesis. They have their handheld system. The handheld system was great for what it was, cool. right? Okay, but how do you make a sequel to the best game that they ever sold, right? Uh, around this time, Naka, the guy who made the original design, briefly left the company due to some like internal conflicts, and he was like, I'm not getting enough credit in, in Sega, and I'm leaving. Uh, but Yasuhara, the guy who came on and took over the team earlier, mm-hmm. calls him up and says, hey man, I'm going to go work at Sega Technical Institute in the US. I want you to come work with me. And he's like, okay, I'll do it for you, man. 
So he, he goes back, he starts working in the U.S. So um, Yasuhara calls up Sega Japan and he says, hey, do you guys want another Sonic game? And they're like, nah, it's too soon. It's too soon to put out another Sonic game. And he's like, are you sure? Because <laughs> we can make one. And they're like, nah, it's too soon. And then they call him like two months later and they're like, actually, we were wrong. We do need a Sonic game and we made all these deals and uh, you need to get a Sonic game. And uh, sorry, you just lost two months of development time. So get on it. Nice. So awesome. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks, 90s tech industry or I guess any tech industry. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so. They say, how do you make it better? All right, well, it has to be bigger. It has to be crazier. It has to do all this stuff. And of course, in true sequel form, they decide to give Sonic a sidekick. Okay, mm-hmm. they hold another yes. contest. So they, through the contest, they create a new character who is a fox who has two tails and he can use those tails to fly. Oh, ta- right? Tails is a fox. I never knew what Tails, tails was. Like weird, mm-hmm. weird squirrel or something. I see. <laughs> There is a squirrel in Sonic lore, and his name is uh, Ray, I think. Um, okay. Is it Ray? No. Yeah, Ray. Ray the Flying Squirrel and Mighty the Armadillo are two <laughs> ones that came out later. Story about them later. All right, so so they decide they're going to put in Tails. But Tails wasn't called Tails at first. The Japanese name for him that they came up with for the U.S. was Miles Prowler. Okay? <gasps> and For miles per hour. You got it. Yep. Oh, that's clever. <laughs> Right, because you know the U.S. uses all of these systems yeah. that the rest of the world does. So uh, the U.S. the U.S. Uh, localization hated it, and they said, "Well, we have you've got Sonic. You know, Sonic is just Sonic, right? Mm-hmm. Miles Prowler doesn't fly off the tongue in the same way, so we're no, just going to call doesn't. him Tails." Mm-hmm. But the Japanese developers really liked this name, so they hid it in a bunch of advertising. And so it became like the, the Eggman uh, thing mm-hmm. where Miles Prowler is his official name, but everybody calls him Tails. Oh, right. I see. So the game, pretty big improvement over the previous one. It was faster. The levels were more detailed. The bonus stages were intense and did this like really cool, like pseudo 3D thing where you were like in this tube and like running and you'd like move the character back and forth as you like ran through the tube. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember They that. added this... Yeah, so I find them to be very difficult, even even today, even though I play them a lot. Yep. But um, they had a really cool thing where if you got all the emeralds, Sonic could use their power and turn into Super Sonic. And Super Sonic was like basically a Super Saiyan from Dragon Ball Z. He even turned yellow. He turned yellow, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. He'd be invincible, but you'd like lose rings the longer you were Super Sonic. Um, they added a two-player racing mode. Um that they had been intending on putting in the first game, but they couldn't. And the plot was very similar to the first game. But this time, not only is Eggman trying to capture all the critters, but he created the giant Death Egg, which was basically just a Death Star with a Teddy Roosevelt mustache on it. So, Okay, nice. I don't think that for a game like that, you'd have to come up with a new plot. Why should you? I mean, not really. the same as Mario does. Like, Bowser shows up again and does his thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody will question it. That's a good idea. Nice. Yeah. They slam through the creation of the game in less than a year, and they try to get it out before the holiday season in November 1992. Again, absolute smash hit. Sega ramps up advertising, and the game became the second best-selling Genesis game ever, only beaten by the original Sonic. So, 
at this point, it really served to help Sega start actually beating Nintendo in sales. And they beat Nintendo two to one that holiday season. Wow. So I've had trouble finding good stats for this. But on the lowest end, it said that around this time, Sega dominated about 40% of the market. On the high end, I saw 65% of the market. But Sega, through Sonic, had become like a serious contender. That's that's incredible. And and they managed mm -hmm. to do that in like two years, three years? How, mm -hmm. how long? That's amazing. And two years ago, Nintendo had a 90% market share. And they changed that so now like what would that be about a 60 percent market share that sega has now and correct yeah incredible dude yeah so the mega drive or the genesis came out in um 1989 and this is the end of 1992 so oh, cool. and when the genesis launched it only had like five games for it at the time so they were just basically starting out and said here's some games we'll we'll give it a go and you know by the end of the holiday season Uh, end of 1992, beginning of 1993, they were starting to dominate the industry. So Nice. You can't stop there, right? So production of Sonic games starts increasing, like, exponentially. September of 1993, they released Sonic CD. Uh, they had created... So, this is a total side note. Uh, Sega loved making these weird add-ons for their systems. Like, the Genesis even had... It was mostly marketed in the Japanese market. It even had, like a like, an answering machine that you could get that would, like plug into your console and it was like a what? phone answering machine what, 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 how, how would that work like <laughs> i have no idea dude i have no idea but these aside you know cds are the new tech okay yeah and we're gonna make this cd yeah. add-on right i had one uh i spilled something in it and it wasn't until like my late 20s that i actually found it in my closet and like refurbished it and stuff but Uh, it was really cool because it was like, ooh, CDs. We can put CDs in things now, right? Uh, and so they, they came out with Sonic CD. And Sonic CD uh, was really cool. Uh, I won't get super into it, but it was like it had a different take on the pseudo 3D levels. It had time travel where you could travel between the past and the future and the present of levels to affect them. Mm -hmm. um, it had an, a full anime opener and a theme song. Whoa. Oh, it was really cool. Uh, a total. So this is like a little fun fact that I'll, I'll I'll pause real quick and I'll tell you this. So when they made this game, uh, the Japanese soundtrack was made and they brought it over to be localized in the American soundtrack. And this this one fact is actually what inspired me to do this episode. Um, it's not that crazy, but I'm excited about it. So they bring it over to the to the localization and they go, "This soundtrack is terrible. Uh, we don't want this." And they're like, but we did the whole soundtrack. Like, it's done. The game is done. And they're like, this is really bland and blasé. And it's not awesome and kick-ass like Sonic should be. Yeah. And so they literally brought in a person to completely redo the entire soundtrack to the game. And I'll tell you, man, I've listened to both of them. And I think the North American one is way better. So the North so, American one was the, the, the one that was made first? Or... No, so the Japanese soundtrack was made first. They right. So they made all these games in Japan. They brought it over to the US and started doing localization. And they said, the soundtrack is terrible. You know, not, not specifically like the soundtrack is yeah. terrible, but they weren't happy with it. They brought in somebody and completely redid the entire soundtrack to the game. Because they wanted so... it to be more like Bill Clinton. <laughs> Or just like, you know, uh, it was... It was like really like it's kind of hard to describe it, but like it just kind of sounded like weird pop music. Like it wasn't really exciting. And if you if you compare it to, and that's just my opinion, some people prefer the Japanese release. But if you compare it to previous Sonic games, I can see that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. 
So Sonic CD hits. It was it was it was good. Sonic Spinball hits in November 1993. It's a weird pinball Sonic hybrid. Um, two TV shows hit that year: The Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog, which was a very lighthearted cartoon that was like mostly aimed at young children. I'll tell you, as a kid, I hated it because I thought it was too like too little kid. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it was like too too young for me, even though I was like eight years old. <laughs> um, so uh, then they also made Sonic the Hedgehog. It was just called Sonic the Hedgehog. And it's usually referred to as uh, Sonic Saturday AM because that's when it uh, mm-hmm. ran. Yep. And it was like really dark and it ran for a couple of seasons and like characters would like die or like turn into robots. And it was like kind of scary. But fun fact, both versions of Sonic uh, and the Sonic in the later series that they made later were voiced by Jaleel White who was Steve Urkel on Family Matters. Steve, Do you know that show? Steve Urkel was the guy with the... Suspenders. Suspenders, yeah. I think I know the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, he was basically the voice of Sonic for a long time. Um, and the first show, Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog, spawned a Poyo Poyo. Like, they wanted to port Poyo Poyo. Do you know that game? Nope. To the US? Okay, so Poyo Poyo is kind of like a Tetris thing where, like, you stack blocks, and as mm-hmm. you remove blocks, they fall down, and they can create combos with them. Mm-hmm. And then when you fight your opponent, you drop, like, junk blocks onto their side. Oh, okay. But they, so they decide, you know, we want to port Poyo Poyo over, but, like, people aren't going to buy Poyo Poyo, but what they will buy is Sonic. So they reskin the entire Poyo Poyo game mm-hmm. as a game called Dr. Robotnik's Bean, Mean Bean Machine, mm-hmm. and it sold pretty well for what it was. So, okay, so that's 1993. Bunch of shit comes out right uh also during this time a comic series hits and it it lasts the whole way from 1993 up to 2017 it still holds the guinness world uh, book of records for the longest running comic series that was based on a video game whoa right so so how many chapters did that comic have what was it about what what's how do you make a comic about something like that do you know so i don't know the exact total but i think it got close to 300 um 300 issues and i mean i don't know how i i I read some of them as i when i was a kid and there was all these like intersecting plots and stuff and uh you know it was always something new this week dr robotnik has some new thing he's doing and it's super evil and they have to stop him but a lot of the lore um around that time revolved around sonic and his friends like being in this big like resistance and they would like fight against like robotnik's like tyrannical rule of the planet mobius yeah and so it was always revolving around something like that because you can make like a video game without having any consistent plot that makes that 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 works but i i feel like making a comic without having or even the show without having proper plot might turn out to be more difficult right i would agree so they just expanded on all these characters that were already in the games although i think they're technically a separate like universe right okay um they were, so, by the way, that was published by Archie Comics, which I told someone recently that I had read those when I was a kid, and they're like, what, you were reading Jughead? And I'm like, no, they're like a publishing company, right? Like, What, what else did they publish? Well, the biggest one was Archie, which was like a teen drama kind of thing okay. that was popular decades previous. But Okay, okay so <clears throat> Sonic 3 hits in February 1994. And this one was actually produced by Naka. Yeah, the same guy who like left the company and came back. He bargains and says, I want more autonomy with the company. And they're like, okay, you know, you've already knocked it out of the park a couple of times. So he's basically like, look, you give me more autonomy. You put me as, you make me producer on the project and you let me work over in Japan instead of the US. 
I don't want to deal with any of this localization bullshit and I'm down. And they're like, okay, cool. So some backstory for this release, because I find it to be really fascinating. So again, how do you keep topping bigger, crazier, bigger, crazier, right? So of course, right. They add a save system. Like you could save your game. That was crazy to me as a child that you could save your game. You know, yeah. you stop on a level, you can come back. So before that, we talked about before, but you you had to play through in one go. There was no other way. Or leave your yep. console on or something. Correct. Yeah. Yep. That was your only choice. So this was like you could stop on a zone, and at the beginning of each zone, it would save your game automatically. Oh. And then you could shut your console off at any point, and when you came back, um, you could just turn it on, and you would be able to go and pick from a number of save slots, and you could. So it even auto saved. It did not just you. you oh, nice. Correct. Uh, I'll tell you a little side personal story of my level of Sonic obsession was so high when I was a kid that I would literally go through each save slot and I would beat it and I would get all the emeralds and I would do everything that you possibly could. And then as soon as I finished it, the second I finished it, I would just start up a new game and open a save slot and do it again. And when I ran out of save slots, I would go through and I would delete all the save slots and I would just do it again. <laughs> was there like, like, I mean, would it tell you the time you took to finish the playthrough? No. So you couldn't like speedrun yourself or something. I suppose you could you could write down how long it took you to finish a level because okay. it did time you. Remember like there was like a timer, yeah. right? I don't think it told you, but I could be wrong. It's been a while since I played it. But I know so. b b because I know how much you crave speedrunning sometimes and I can just imagine <laughs> little little baby Tyler being being completely obsessed with speed oh, yeah. Sonic the Hedgehog, just sitting in front of to go fast, gotta go fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They also added this, um, they added this like mini game where you were like on this sphere and like as you walked, you would like pick up these blue spheres and you had to like, it was kind of like doing a puzzle and like my, I remember my mother being just like, I can't believe you do this as fast as you do. Like you don't ever make a mistake. How do you never make a mistake? <laughs> like, she couldn't believe it it was unfathomable to her right but that's how in i was right yeah. okay so they had a save system they wanted to add a new character they had this guy knuckles the echidna um he's like um i don't know if you've ever seen one but regardless he's a red character it almost looks like he has like long dreads or something um and he's got these big uh like white gloves with spikes on them and the idea was is that he could move around and he could glide and he could like climb walls and stuff with these spike hands oh, that's why it's called of... knuckles because he has spike things for knuckles ah okay right and so uh they wanted him to be more of like a rival to sonic instead of like a friend and so <clears throat> throughout the course of the game he does become like your buddy and you all work together right but this without digging too far here this project was really ambitious like even more so than their other projects and they started running into a number of issues so first off the game was too big for what they wanted to do and they were running out of time to get it out because they had like a bunch of promotions that had, they had set up in the u.s a big one was um through mcdonald's like mcdonald's wanted to do like toys and their happy meals and they needed time to like make them yeah so The decision was made. Take Sonic 3, which was this huge, fantastic game, and split it into two games, Sonic 3 and Sonic and Knuckles. But the developers were not pleased with this. So they said, we want our game to be seamless, right? We want it to be played as intended. So how do you do this with two separate games? Well, they first released Sonic 3, and then they re later released the second half, Sonic and Knuckles. But Sonic and Knuckles had a really cool feature, and I still remember it. 
the cartridge had a little door on the top of it that you would flip open. Yeah. And on the top of the cartridge was a place that you could plug in other cartridges. What? So, what? yeah, they called it lock-on technology. So imagine you got your Genesis, you, you plug in Sonic and Knuckles, yeah. you haven't turned it on yet. You take Sonic 3, you plug Sonic 3 into Sonic and Knuckles, and now you can play the entire 13 zone game from start to finish without stopping. Oh, so it's like it's like a DLC, something like you have the, the first game that came out, Sonic 3, and you could just yep. add it on. That's pretty cool. Right. And so um, they'd never done this before. And, you know, part of it was also just like, how much can you fit on one cartridge? And they talked about like adding in this like chip, like they talked about adding like a chip that would have more stuff on it for a while. Mm -hmm. And then that didn't really work out. But um, so they called it lock on tech. A little a little cool bonus note. Uh, They said, you know, we know kids are just going to take whatever cartridges they want and stuff them in there and see what they do. So if you stuffed in another cartridge that wasn't Sonic 3, it would take you to like one of these cool bonus stages that was like randomly generated just for like that game's code. But if you took Sonic 2 and plugged Sonic 2 into Sonic and Knuckles, you could play as Knuckles through the entirety of Sonic 2. It was so like a neat little Easter egg that they put in there that was pretty cool. So I like it. I like it too. So again, it was really neat tech for the time. Uh, They never used it again on um, the Genesis because, you know, it was sort of getting near the end of its console life. But regardless, Sonic 3 is the fourth best-selling Genesis game, and the only game that beat it was Disney's Aladdin by a very small amount. So the fandom around Sonic continues. A few other games come out. The last few entries into the series were they had another add-on that you could, like, plug into it. It It's called the 32X you could take Knuckles. It was, they made a Knuckles game called Knuckles Chaotix. I've actually never played it. And that went into the 32X. Uh, that was kind of popular in 1995. And then Sonic 3D Blast came out in 1996. It was like their first little like foray into making something that looked 3D. And those were the last Sonic games released on the Genesis because they said, you know, this, this, this console has been out for like eight years. We need a new console. They started working on the Sega Saturn which was uh, a really bizarre story we'll save for another day. Um, The last thing that came out around that time was they made a really cool anime movie in 1996 just called Sonic the Hedgehog the Movie, and it was really popular. I still have my old DVD. Cool. It's amazing how long these consoles lasted. Um, It's true. Because it was the same for the Nintendo consoles, right? They they didn't get replaced every year, but um, they they were supposed to to work a while, so they cut... Get out their games because that what what the console is for is that you have your own console and you have your consumer bound to you, so they have to right. buy your games and you can you can basically force them or not just force them because your your consumer likes your games but you can you can make games and you have a guarantee that they will buy it for the entire right. time that they enjoy the console, and that's You're exactly right. Rather rare nowadays and console exclusivity was much more powerful back in the day you couldn't play you know you'd never play sonic on a nintendo no right because it wasn't nintendo no right so to wrap things up about you know sonic here uh the creation i think that the creation of sonic the hedgehog is really integral into just rocketing the genesis into this like 16-bit console war and it just put sega on the map and so just a tally i did a little bit of a tally i went and looked up all the different games that had come out during the Genesis's life cycle, there were 10 games released on the Genesis uh, that were Sonic-related. 
12 games released on the Game Gear, but it looks to me like 10 of them were exclusive to the Game Gear. Mm -hmm. Five arcade games, including the Armadillo concept uh, that they used previously, was one of Sonic's friends named Mighty the Armadillo, and you literally controlled it with trackballs, right? Like, you remember an old trackball yep. like that you had for a computer? Yep. You'd use it to, like, launch the characters. It was really cool. Wow. Um, so five arcade games. They had something called the Sega Pico for a little while, which was just, like, a tablet for kids at the time. And there was a couple Sonic games on there. Uh, there were a couple compilations. There was a PC game. Just a ton of shit, dude. You know, comics, movies, shows. And so, like, I think what's really important, my takeaway from this is, like, they didn't just create a character, right? Like, they created a cultural phenomenon sonic was everywhere on everything like i remember like a cable company advertising for you know their cable services and there was just sonic on the board why i don't know just because they purchased the rights to put sonic on there right yeah. i mean there was sonic brand potato chips there were cracker jack boxes with sonic stickers inside uh my grandmother bought me like a whole bunch of cans of sonic spaghettios right like it was so easy to get Sonic stuff when I was a kid during that time that I like, I literally remember that I went to school one day and I was wearing, I was so proud. I had a Sonic shirt on <laughs> Sonic pants, Sonic shoes, Sonic socks, and even Sonic underwear. I was Sonic everything. Oh dude. God. Oh, cringe. But it makes total it, sense because that's what they, right? that, as you told us, that's what they wanted to do to take the market over and as aggressive as possible. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well so you know like i just it was really intense and i think like without it sega just wouldn't have had the clout that they did nope. now they lost a lot of it later which we'll do in another episode maybe but yeah they did they died out right sega disappeared from the, yeah, the last home con console market the last console that they put out was the dreamcast and it didn't really do well so would you like some fun facts that i yes, have please tell me fun what's what's more fun about, about <laughs> okay. sonic while i was digging for the history of sega Turns out, Sega was not founded in Japan. They were founded in the 40s by a couple of American businessmen because they wanted to make coin-operated gambling machines. Oh. So they're in Hawaii. They, they, they create Sega, right? Yep. They have all these, like, slot machines, basically. Mm -hmm. And then they briefly outlawed, outlawed gambling for a while in the U.S., and they were just like, fuck it. Let's move to Japan, and we'll do, we'll do stuff in Japan, right? And so that's how they ended up making they're repurposing their tech to make arcade games and that's how like through the through the decades they became what they became what else do i have here uh oh so here's a really cool little little tidbit that i really like so for a long time it was rumored so like part of what makes sonic really cool is the music yeah. to sonic yeah. it is just so iconic and so good and so they brought in like a lot of really famous people to help consult and like they'd bring in like japanese pop bands and they'd con they consulted with some american artists but It was rumored for a very long time that Michael Jackson was consulted to work on Sonic 3's music, and he ends up being uncredited. And so this was like a rumor for a long time, and it was just kind of like officially like kind of confirmed in 2019. And there's mixed reports on why he decided he didn't want to be credited for helping out, but most point to the fact that he was kind of unhappy with like the limitations that like a 16-bit console could create. Oh, okay. Right? Like, so if you listen closely and you, I mean, you can YouTube some of this stuff, mm -hmm. right? There's just a lot of like have his influences in a lot of songs and, and some, one of the songs I think it's casino night zone sounds very identical to one of his, you know, pieces of his work. So, okay. 
before I give you my hot take on the Sonic games, how much of them did you play? You said you only played a couple of times. I have a console. I have a I have a Sonic version on Steam. I bought it because I saw you play it once, and I was like, I I need to be in on this because I played Mega Man because you yeah, you yeah. shamed me into it, and then I did Sonic and Sonic. I started up, mm-hmm. and I instantly get got back into the trauma I received when I was a child playing Sonic, like. Yeah, it it's the worst game. Like I'm bad at Mega Man, and it gives me it gives me nightmares. But uh-huh. Sonic is worse. <laughs> I can't I can't even get through a level. It's it's it it, it gives me physical pain. <laughs> Do you know what the worst part of Sonic is? What is it? It is it is the drowning music. I, I don't know if you know the drowning music. I probably it's, have it. It's somewhere in my mind, and if I hear it, I will start twitching. But I, I don't know. Right now. It's fucking oppressive, dude. <laughs> so, okay. all right. So here's my hot take on the Sonic games. So if we, if I was going to rank them, I actually dislike so- like I like Sonic One the least. Okay. It feels like a like a proof of concept to me. Um, I played it, and y- you you go fast in the first level, and then the rest of the game basically finds ways to slow you down. Okay. And I'm like. If the point of the game is to go fast, why am I not going fast, right? Yeah. And, like, there were some really, like, janky kind of things at the end that I wasn't happy with. <laughs> I think two really improved on this, but for me, three will always be the peak of Sonic. Okay. And, like, CD's really good, but I think the only other game that ever came close to topping th- my love of three is Sonic Mania that came out in 2017. It was just this beautiful love letter to the series. So Nice. So Sonic 3, so- best original Sonic Sonic Media, great homage to the original series. Okay, I would agree. Yep, that's my that's my hot take. You want let's let's just quickly talk of a couple of sources that helped me put this together. Yes. So my biggest one that I used to, to get some stuff on development. So this guy Keith Stewart uh, wrote a book called Sega Mega Drive slash Genesis: The Collected Works. Wow. Uh, he ran a blog called ReadOnlyMemory.vg, and he wrote a lot of this stuff while he was doing his research. I also pulled a lot of this stuff from some articles that were written by Game Informer as like a retrospective mm-hmm. thing. And um, I looked around at a couple of like wikis. Um, info.sonicretro.org had a lot of good development stuff, but I wasn't I wasn't quite sure if their sources were that great, so I didn't pull more from them. But those are like the main ones that I pulled from. Okay. So you can check those out. I think the Keith Stewart book is out of print, but you can at least go check out his blog. So he basically wrote a book about the history of... Um... Sega that is obviously intertwined with the creation of Sonic. Correct. Yeah, I think you can. I think that what we know about the Genesis today would have been very much swept under the rug if Sonic had not existed. It's pretty amazing. I agree. Well, my friend, do you have any passing thoughts? I don't think so, but I guess if you if you want to make it on the American market, you just got to make things blue, white, and, and red and make, make the character act like bill clinton that's gonna work out uh, <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i don't know if you could make the same character today but it i definitely it screams not 90s. it screams 90s it's yeah. a very 90s character um thank you so much for telling me about it of course and... thank you so much for listening and giving your insight man all right well this has been codex rex the video game history podcast and uh, i'm tyler my name is dax and we're going to do this again and we're going to talk about something else uh, that is related to the history of video games. We should thank some people, right? Oh yeah. Let's thank some people before we sign off. Um, So I guess I'll just go first. Uh, I just want to thank. So um, some of you know me as uh, vegan Tyler on Twitch. Um, I have a buddy named quad laser. 
um, Quad L A Z R, uh, who does a lot of like music production stuff, and he has his own podcast. And um, he helped me out a lot with helping me to find um, different resources that I could use to record this and how to do stuff on the on the back end of things. So I just want to thank him personally. Yeah, so he's a cool dude. And we also like to thank our the community that evolves around you, and um, that it's just cool to hang out with. This is for them. And thanks to all of you for listening. You know, um, this was fun to do and I'd like to do it again. Okay, thanks friends. See you later. Bye.